Well, we are finally here at the end of the series. We, uh, this is your first uh, week with us. We have been in the series, The Big Story, for the past nine weeks. We've said that a lot of times when we approach the Bible, it's really easy to pull out one verse. We know John 3.16, or you know the story of David and Goliath. You know some of these stories. But we have a hard time understanding how do all these things actually fit together. And so what we've done is we've stepped back during this series and looked at the big story of Scripture and said, what's really going on? From the beginning to the end, what is the big story of Scripture? And we've asked two questions every week. These are the questions that we ask. Number one, how do I fit into God's story? Remember? It's not how does God fit into my story? How do I fit into his story? And the second question we ask is similar as well. How does this story constantly point us to Jesus? And week number one, I gave you a big so what, and it was this. The Sunday school answer is right. Because what's the Sunday school answer? Jesus. And here's what I know. There's some of you that walked in the door this morning, and you're overwhelmed. Right? There's some of you that this is your first time being in a church in a long time, because you, you just been, you didn't know where else to go, and you're like, you know what, I need to go to church today. I don't know your circumstance. God knows. I don't know your circumstance, but I absolutely know what the answer to your problems are. I absolutely know what your source needs to be. I absolutely know where your foundation can be in the midst of whatever you're going through, and that is Jesus. And Scripture points us over and over and over. That is who we need to look to. That is where our eyes need to be. All right, and so this morning we're going to wrap up this series, and I'm going to try and land the plane. Any of you fearful of flying? Any of you fearful of flying? Some of you, you just don't like flying. That's fine. I've got a couple of friends. They hate flying. They absolutely hate flying. They don't like taking off. They don't like the flight, but you know what they really don't like? Landing, okay? Because if you don't like flying, right? Because it doesn't matter if you can take off and if you can fly. If you can't land the plane, you've got problems, and I'm going to try and land the plane here this morning and do the best that I can to finish the big story. But more importantly, we're going to look and say, okay, God, now what? It's great. We know the big story. Now what? What are we supposed to do? All right. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1. Uh, if you would, would you stand with me as we're going to read our primary text this morning? I say this every week, there's nothing sacred about staying. It's just, we, just what we do to say, God, we value your word. I'm going to read a longer passage, so you've got to stick with me here, okay? Use your imaginations while I tell a little bit of this story for 11 verses. Verse number one says this. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen... After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them for over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him, men of Galilee. They said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your word. And God, we can have an emotional experience sometimes when, when we sing songs together and we're lifted up in your presence, but God, ultimately, this thing has to transform us some way. And so, God, I pray by your word today that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, God, that we would hear from you, not from me, that we would hear from you, God, and we would walk out of this place different. We pray that in the name of Jesus, everybody said, amen, amen. You may be seated. All right, so what I'm going to try and do here is I'm going to give you two minutes. Here's the two-minute flyover of where we have been in. We'll catch ourselves up, and then we'll carry on with the final part of this story. We began at the very beginning. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. This is his story, not our story. He created all things perfect, set order. At the end of the creation week, what takes place? We've got God seated on his universal throne, all things under his authority. Everything is as it should be. It is perfect. There's no pain, no disease, no sickness, no injustice. Everything is how it should be. Mankind under God's authority. And then we get to page two, and man says, we want to do things our way. They step out from under God's authority, and that sin, we said this, sin has consequences, and death and disease and brokenness entered the world. In addition to that, there is this broken relationship with God and mankind. We are separated from God. But at the beginning, God said, listen, one day I will send one, this Jesus who will come to restore everything back to how it was in Genesis chapter 1. That's where we're heading, okay? And so God begins this story <clears throat> through a man named Abraham. And he calls him and says, listen, I'm going to bless you, and then through you, I'm going to bless all mankind. And he calls Abraham, and Abraham becomes a family who becomes a people, who becomes a nation, who ultimately becomes the kingdom of Israel. But we know the problem with Israel. They constantly went the wrong way. Over and over again, they were unfaithful. God said, be faithful. They kept being unfaithful. But God was patient. Why? Because he had to get to Jesus. That's the goal. We're going to get to Jesus one way or the other. And you get to the end of the Old Testament, and the people are, are longing. They're like, things haven't been restored like we thought they would be. Things aren't the way we thought they were going to be, God. Where is this one? You said there was one that was going to come who would, who would fix everything, who would restore things. Where is he? We turn to the New Testament. And in walks Jesus. At the beginning of Mark, what does he say? He comes preaching the kingdom of God, saying, the kingdom of God is here. That thing you were waiting for, it is here. Problem. It wasn't what they thought it was. They were waiting for an earthly kingdom, right? A king to come in and just take control. And he said, no, no, I'm building a different kind of kingdom. This is a spiritual kingdom. This is a dandelion king that is going to come through every single one of you as you are planting up and the kingdom of God sprouts up through your life, not through some earthly kingdom. But he said, listen, there's only one way you're going to enter my kingdom. I'm going to have to pay the price for you. And so last week we talked about the fact that Jesus went to the cross to pay the price we can never pay for ourselves, to give us the ability to once again enter relationship with God and step into his kingdom as we submit to his authority. And that's where we landed last week. And this morning we be continue with the story. I've just entitled this Acts and Beyond. We know on the third day what happens. We're going to celebrate it next week, the resurrection. Okay? And there is power in the resurrection. I can't wait to share with you next week because we're going to talk about that specifically. But it says on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. He signified, listen, I'm the one you were waiting for. Okay? And, and he's, he's uh, free then of, of death and bondage and all those things. And for the next 40 days, it says Jesus goes around and he begins sharing more and more about the kingdom of God, revealing himself to people, revealing the reality of his resurrection. And then he comes to a group of people, as we see in Acts chapter 1, and he says to his followers, listen, go to Jerusalem, and you're going to wait for the Holy Spirit. 
And after the Holy Spirit empowers you, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be my witnesses all over the place. Remember that dandelion kingdom? Everywhere you go, you're going to plant the kingdom of God. The church is going to sprout up all over the place through your lives. That's what he tells him. And then we get to this point in the story where it says that Jesus ascends into heaven. Any of you grow up in a church where you did musicals? Anybody do musicals? A couple, a few of your churches, all right? I grew up in a church where we did musicals, you know. They were always like that with the Christmas musicals and the Easter musicals. And this was the, the best scene in the Easter musical. At the end of the Easter musical, what happens? We had a really high-tech church. Okay, we had this whole little thing rigged up in the air, right? And Jesus would do his thing, and then he'd go get on a little thing, and then the music would play, and, oh, and he, would lift, he would lift it all the way up into the rafters. It was super cool, okay? Except one time. One time. <laughs> One time we got to the end of the musical and the music is happening and it's just powerful and like, oh, people, are, their emotions are being stirred, right? And Jesus goes and he gets on the little thing and he's like, oh, and he's raised up in there and halfway up it gets stuck. <laughs> and Jesus is like, he's yanking at the rope, he's kicking, and he, now he's twisting and he's just up here twisting. And it was all, I hope it wasn't like that. I hope it was far better than that. But Jesus ascends into heaven and he says, okay, go do what, you, what I told you to do. And so the disciples and the followers, they go back to Jerusalem. And they're, they're waiting on this promised Holy Spirit. And it says on Acts chapter 2, what happened? The Holy Spirit is poured out in power on these people. And what I love about it is the, is the disciples and the, a lot of these followers, they, they were kind of crackpots a little bit, right? Like the disciples, they, they didn't have their stuff together most of the time. Like they were confused most of the time. They weren't operating in faith a lot of the time. They were questioning things all the time. In fact, the, the one who was supposed to be the rock, this Peter, he was a coward, right? He, 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 didn't even, he wasn't even willing to confess that he knew Jesus in front of a kid. And yet because of the power of the Holy Spirit, what happens? Peter on the day of Pentecost steps out and preaches a message, not like, hey, if you like Jesus, you should... You should come follow him. No, he said, you killed the son of God. Repent and come follow him. That's what he said, boldly proclaiming. And that day, 3,000 come into the church. And that's the day this church, this movement of the church begins moving a little bit, right? And it is spreading. And it says at the end of Acts chapter 2, day after day after day, they are adding to the number of those who are being saved, those following after Christ, giving their life to him. It's this beautiful, beautiful picture. Only there's one problem. They didn't listen to Jesus fully. See, the church is growing. It's building. But it's all in Jerusalem. It's like my kids. I told you I got a dog recently, and I'm not a big fan of the dog. <laughs> okay. Whatever. We're not going to go there. <laughs> But with this dog I have in my house, okay, I will tell my kids, go take the dog to the bathroom. Go take the dog to the bathroom. Go take the dog to the bathroom. And they come, go out and come back in. Did you take him to the bathroom? Well, I took him outside. She, she didn't want to go to the bathroom. She has to, you have to wait longer than 30 seconds. The dog pees on my carpet. Did you take, I'm sorry, I didn't take the dog to the bathroom. That's because you have to take him outside. Let the dog go to the bathroom, okay? You kind of listen to me, but you got to take her out. Until she goes, you're staying outside. And this is how the disciples, they kind of did what God asked them to do. They, they said, yeah, we're going we're gonna to speak and talk about Jesus in Jerusalem. He said, yeah, but I told you to go to the ends of the earth. I told you to take this thing. And the church is growing, but nobody's left Jerusalem. The church is just growing right here. 
And so what does God do? He says, all right, I'm going to have to raise somebody else up. So he raises up a whole other apostle, the 13th apostle, just to get them outside of their comfort zone. And the Paul, he comes to Paul. Jesus, a resurrected Jesus, confronts Paul. Who is this guy, Paul? Paul's a guy who, who was trying to kill the Christians. And he comes to him and says, listen, you are going to be my disciple. You are going to be my apostle to the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? They were the non-Jews. They were the people living outside of Jerusalem, outside of Judea. And he's like, you're going to take this gospel. Remember I said this kingdom was going to be spread everywhere? You're going to help do that. And so Paul begins taking the gospel outside of Jerusalem, beyond the Jewish walls, and seeing Gentiles come to faith. And the, the leaders back in Jerusalem, all these Jewish leaders are like, what is going on out there? And they call Paul in and say, what's happening? And the most important moment that we see in Scripture, I think in the New Testament, takes place in Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council. What happens? They come and say, Paul, tell us what's going on. Paul's talking about the fact that I'm going to all these Gentiles, and they're getting saved, and the Spirit's falling on them. It's overwhelming. And these Jewish leaders are like, well, we're not really sure about this, because up until that point, if you were going to be a follower of Christ, you also had to be a Jew, had to do all the Jewish things. And they came to a point, and this was this decision that James, the half-brother of Jesus, makes in Acts chapter 15, verse 19. He says, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And I think this is something we need to get a hold of. Because here's the deal. I think there's a lot of people in our world that love Jesus. They just don't like what we look like. They don't like our version, right? Our churchified version. Our dirty version of Jesus. <laughs> God's desire is that, that we would bring the hope of God to the ends of the world. We say around here that we are gospel-centered. And what that means to me is that that is the unshakable part of our church. But my desire as a pastor is that we continually peel away everything that isn't the gospel, everything that we've added to the gospel, every part that we said, well, you gotta do it this way, every cultural norm that we've made the gospel and said, no, 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 let's strip that away and let's bring the true, pure gospel to lost and broken people so that they could know the hope of Christ. That's what we're called to do. God, give us eyes to see where we are missing it, eyes where we are adding it in our own lives. Where are we adding to the gospel? where I'm adding a religious spirit to what God has called me to experience freedom in. That's what we're called to. And so that's what we're going to be as a church, okay? And so it says that then the, the, the gospel then goes and spreads. And it spreads all over. And as we know, the story continues up until right now. At this point where there is gospel witness all over the world. Well, I'm going to hit pause here for a second. I'm going to come back to us in a moment. But I want to finish the story real quick. Because the story goes beyond this, if, if you know scripture. There are themes that, that are spoken of. And when we talk about things that are coming ahead, things that happen in the end times, I think everybody's got a different opinion about it. <laughs> you know that? You can talk to 10 different people and get 10 different opinions about what's coming. But there's a few core truths of the future that are undeniable, that are consistent throughout Scripture. And those are the things that I want to point us to. The next thing that we are awaiting here on earth is this, Christ's return. Amen? Christ's return. He said it. I'm leaving and I'm coming back. I mean, this is the hope of the church. This is the blessed hope that we talk about for the church, that Christ is returning. He spoke about it. He confirmed it. He said, I am coming. This should inspire hope in our hearts. Problem is, when it comes to ideas of Christ returning and maybe concepts like the rapture, for a lot of us, it's brought anxiety in our lives. I don't know about you, okay, but here's me. I, I grew up in an a understanding of there's this rapture moment, and so at any point this can happen, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to be ready or not. I'm not going to be ready, and even though I love Jesus, I don't think I'm ready. I'm not really sure, and so when I would walk into my house, uh, 
If there was nobody home, I broke out into a hot sweat. Anybody else know that? I'm like, oh shoot, I missed the rapture somehow, you know? And, and if that happened, you know who I went looking for? My mom. So I'm not sure about dad and my sister, but I'm pretty confident mom is going. So if mom's home, we're good, right? Okay, I don't know who you, you we all have the person we're looking for, right? You see, this is unfortunately what it's producing us. But see, the, the return of Christ shouldn't produce anxiety for a follower of Christ. It should produce hope, right? That we live in life of the reality that Christ is coming back. That what we see right now is temporary. That we have a king who is seated on the throne that we know is coming for us. And we say, God, come now, Jesus, come. That's the hope of the church, okay? The next thing that we look forward to that we know is spoken in Scripture is this. Final judgment. Now this is one we probably don't like as much. I know there's a lot of people that don't like to think this is a reality, but scripture teaches it over and over and over again that we will all face judgment. It's just reality. You know, Jesus doesn't just come, you know, just because it's a good thing that makes you feel good. There is a judgment coming that he came to help deal with. And so, I think for some of us, we have experiences in life that we don't like. Uh, you have somebody in your life that you're like, I can't believe they're getting away with this. I wish everybody else knew what they were really like. That day's coming, okay? There are circumstances, there are leaders that we see who are like, I can't believe this. Hey, the, there's a day when all the stuff that's in hidden will come out. All the things that are in the dark will be made light. Right? That there's gonna be a moment. And so there's confidence, and that's good for us to know that there is justice for all those people out there but we also are gonna be there too. And here's the truth that I know. You all think I'm a good person. You think I'm so great, I'm a great pastor. I know if I stood before the judgment seat of Christ and all my flaws, every hidden moment of my life is revealed, I know where I really stand. I know it. And you know the same about your life. Before a holy, perfect God, I deserve nothing but death. But this is why we talk about salvation. Yes, we are saved to God's kingdom, but we are also saved from something. The bad news of the gospel is that every single one of us deserves death. That's what our brokenness deserves. The good news of the gospel is if you believe the bad news and instead put your faith in Christ and in repentance turn and surrender to God, you get what you never deserve. You get what you haven't earned. And that is right standing before God. That's what he purchased for you through his death and his resurrection. But here's the sobering scripture in Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. It says this, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. This isn't PC, right? This isn't the thing we want to think about. But it's what scripture teaches. And if we're going to put our trust in Christ, then we say, okay, God, May I live in, in light of the reality of this. There is a final judgment. And God, may I live that way. I can't forget about it. I gotta live in light of that, right? So the first element is Christ's return. Second, the final judgment. Third thing that we live in light of is new heavens and the new earth. See, when you get to the end of Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22, it begins to explain, begins to talk about this new heaven and new earth, and it sounds exactly like Genesis chapter 1. 
These beautiful pictures that we get, and I want to pull it up for you in, in Gen- or Revelation chapter 21. It, it says this, and I heard a loud voice, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. Verse 4 says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. See, this is what we look forward to. There is beauty as God intended, so it will be in the future. It goes on in chapter 22 and starts giving these pictures of this angel that showed the river of the water of life. It's clear as crystal. There's there's these trees of life in there. And then verse 3, it says, No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the hope. You follow Christ. This is the hope that we have. This is what we look for. This is the end. And you get to the very end of Revelation chapter 22. And three times, what does Jesus say? He says, look, I'm coming soon. He says, look, I'm coming soon. Hey, if you forgot it the first two times, I am coming soon. And he would say, yeah, but that was written 2,000 years ago, Greg. It doesn't really feel like soon. Why did he say that? Because this is the call for a believer. It's to live in light of the reality of what is imminent. You may not see it right now, but it is coming. One way, and we need to live differently, all right? And so here we are in the middle of the story, right? The story ends here, and we're kind of in the timeline right about here somewhere. So what part do we play? How do we need to think? For that, I want to take us back uh, to Acts chapter 1. There's this moment here as Jesus ascends, right? He ascends into heaven. And, and these followers are just standing there staring at the sky. And I'm sure they're thinking to themselves, well, now what? <laughs> okay, what do we do exactly? And I think there's a perspective that we can have because we're in the same position. All right, God, okay, you're coming back. Exactly what do I do here? There's, there's three perspectives I want to look at. Two of them are wrong. One of them is right. I think the first perspective that we can have is this, is that we can fixate on Jesus' return. What do I mean, fixate? Is that everything is about, oh, oh, oh. And, and I think about this, that there's people that are, this is that people. Some of you have a this is that people in your life, okay? What do I mean? They're constantly looking for every article, looking for every news thing. They're sharing things on Facebook. Oh, this, this thing that's happening is that thing in Revelation. This thing is that. This is that. This is that. This is that. And they're overwhelmed, right? Freaking out all the time. Like, oh. I don't think that's the right position to be in. <laughs> I don't think that helps you as a follower of Christ. I think it freaks you out. You get overwhelmed, Right? You're not doing what God's actually asked you. You're you're just kind of freaking out about things, okay? Okay. But the second thing, second thing is this, is that you can forget Jesus' return. I don't think it's great to fixate on it, but I I also don't think it's right to forget because I, I think this is the one that most of us, this is the category most of us fall in. Because when you're living your life, it's really easy to just live right now, here, now. See what's going on, not a big deal, right? Just carry on with their lives. You know, we get busy. We kind of just go with the flow. And when you go with the flow, everybody's flowing the wrong direction, you know. Your values become what the values are of the world. Your things that you, that you prioritize are the things that the world is prioritizing. That's what happens. You forget about the reality that Christ is returning, the reality of a judgment. You know, when it comes to sin in your life, you allow that thing because you're like, eh, everybody else is kind of doing that. And you don't realize, hey, one day I'm going to stand and give an account before God. 
okay? I don't think forgetting Jesus' return is the right way to think about things. Instead, I think there's only one option for us. It's the right perspective, and this is our big so what. We say this every week, so what? What's the point of this message? If you forget everything else that I've shared so far today, the big so what is this? Be faithful in light of Jesus' return. We, we can't fixate. If all we do is think of that, we miss what God is calling us to right now. If we forget, we miss out on what God is calling us to right now. Our call is to be faithful in light, to recognize, to know what is coming. Yes, we are aware of that. Yes, our eyes look there, but we are not so lost in there that we forget that we got something to do right now. And I think, I think there's a reason... There's a reason the angels were sent to these followers because they're sitting there just staring up at the sky and the angels say, guys, go do what he told you to do. He told you to go to Jerusalem. Do that. Like, don't just sit here. And I think that's our call. God, what are you calling us to? To be faithful. We've said this from the beginning. We are called to, to come into God's kingdom today, right? It's not some future tense. We talked about this just a couple of weeks ago that, that we don't invite Jesus into our hearts so that one day we get to go to heaven right? We respond to his invitation to God's kingdom right now, that we are that dandelion kingdom where his rule and his reign operates, where his values are present. And as kingdom people, we have to operate under a totally different parameter, okay? See, when you're, when you're thinking about, like, I just invited Jesus into my heart, you know, because someday I get to go to heaven, when that's your attitude, then I think things like loving selflessly, Things like forgiving like Christ has forgiven you. Things like being generous. Those are negotiable things when you just invite Jesus into your heart. Yeah, I feel like it today. I don't feel like it the next day. I just do what feels good to me. When you have surrendered to the kingdom of God, kingdom values are non-negotiable. It isn't like, oh, I'll do it when it's come. No, no, no. Are you a kingdom person? Like, not, I'm going to heaven someday. Because that's not what Christianity. If you've been taught, like, get your card that lets you into heaven someday, you've missed what the gospel is about. He's inviting you now to say, come, come follow me. Die to yourself. Die to the ways of the world. Die to the thoughts of the world, the values of the world. Die to those things. Surrender to me and enter my kingdom now. And that means my kingdom looks different than the world. It means you're going to have to value different things. Being faithful till Jesus comes means you're going to have to prioritize different things. There's some garbage in your life that's sitting in the back closet, and you know it. There's corners of your life you hide from God. They can't stay there. You say, God, I got to get that stuff out of my life. Why? Because I want to be faithful in light of Christ's return. I want to be faithful to you, God. I want to offer myself to you. That's what we're called to, to be kingdom people now. There's a picture that I gave you guys last fall. Some of you remember this. Pulled it out quite a bit back in the fall. It's the solar system. Remember this picture? And I said that our faith oftentimes is like this solar system. We see it this way. We see it, this is my life, and then I've got all the parts of my life. I got my family, I got my work, I got my money, I got my, you know, whatever, relationships, all those kind of things. And a lot of times we might say, oh, well, our faith is this one, the, the one closest to us, because that's the most important part of our lives. But I said, this isn't a kingdom person. Because at the end of the day, everything is still revolving around you. And a kingdom person says, Christ, I put you at the center of my solar system. I don't have a faith box. 
My life is my faith. Everything I have is yours, God. And so my relationships are about valuing you. My money is circling you. Every part of my life, everything I invest, my future, the things I care about in the future, they revolve around you. This is a kingdom person. This is a person who says, God, it's not my story that I'm inviting you into. I am placing myself into your story. At the end of my life, here's the deal. At the end of my life, I don't want God to be a footnote to my story. I want to be a footnote in his. I want to say, God, how can I build your kingdom? How can I submit to your ways? So what does it look like? It can sound really nice. I think sometimes we, we get these big broad strokes. All right, all right, so I got to go be a pastor. I got to go be a missionary. I got to go do this thing if I'm going to be that kingdom person. No. Remember what I said? Be faithful. It's a dandelion kingdom. So where are you at? Be faithful there. What is God asking of you? When you love selflessly, you are being faithful. When you forgive, not because they deserve it, but because Christ has forgiven things that you didn't deserve, that's being faithful. In your own home, with your kids, leading your kids to faith, modeling what it looks like to follow Christ, that's being faithful. We can over-spiritualize. I got to go win people. How about you worry about your family? Lead your family to Christ. Do that. The other stuff will take care of itself. Like, let's start where it matters. Be faithful. Let's listen. Success in your world, I know we've all got different views of what success is like. Success is, ah, if I could... If I could have that house, if I could have that car, if I could have that job, if I could have that influence, if I could get enough followers so that way I've hit this level, that's not success. You know what scripture teaches? Success is faithfulness. That's it. Are you faithful? Before you, when you stand before God, he's not going to say, oh, you killed it. You did so many awesome things. No, he's going to say, either you were faithful or you weren't. And my prayer over my life and my family is well done, good and faithful servant. You took what I put in your hands and you were faithful. That's it. 100 years from now, that's all that matters. So what part do we have in God's story? We are Acts chapter 29. If you don't know your Bible, there is no Acts chapter 29. (laughs) But the story continues to be written. I think all of heaven, all of eternity is going to tell the stories. We're not going to read them out of it in the Bible, but people are going to tell the stories about, hey, remember that guy who showed love to his neighbor and led him to faith? You know that mom who she was exhausted and yet she continually raised her kids to follow after Christ? Like those are the stories we're going to hear as we are faithful right where we are. Are we going to take this gospel to the end of the world? I believe it. Out of this room, I believe there's going to be some missionaries out here that go. But I believe there's also going to be some missionaries to random blocks in Burnsville. As you are faithful and you bring the kingdom of God right where you're at. All right? And so it starts at the end of this series. We've been telling this whole story. We get to the end and we say, okay, God, will I do what I've been saying? Will I step into your story? Because everything in this world wants it to be your story. Everything in this world says you have it your way. You build your kingdom. You build your fame. You make it about you. But a follower of Christ says, I don't care what the world tells me, God, I'm yours. 